Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones, and I'm so excited to be here with you today for Season 11, Episode 8. In this episode, I'm nerding out with a bonafide Fanny Craddock fan, Kevin Geddes. Kevin is a writer, researcher, an academic blogger, presenter, and all-around Fanny Craddock expert. He lives in Edinburgh, Scotland, where he runs his own management consultancy and indulges his passion for the past. We'll be discussing the multifaceted and interesting TV host, Fanny Craddock. Craddock was an English restaurant critic, television chef, and prolific writer. She frequently appeared on television at cookery demonstrations and in print with her fourth husband, Major Johnny Craddock, who played the part of a slightly bumbling, henpecked husband. I'm so excited to talk to Kevin about Fanny Craddock's life and career, and to hear his insights into her unique personality and cooking style. I think you'll find his episode to be both informative and entertaining. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation with Kevin Geddes. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today, I'd like to introduce Kevin Geddes, who is a writer, researcher, academic blogger, presenter, and all-around Fanny Craddock fan. Kevin lives in Edinburgh, Scotland, and runs his very own management consultancy, as well as indulging his passion for the past. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much, Dean. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, we mentioned Scotland, but tell me about where you grew up and how did your family influence your love of food and cooking? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Scotland. I've not always lived here, but uh, I did grow up in Scotland, a, a tiny little town uh, village really called Kirkpatrick Durham is where I was born. Um, you know, maybe just a couple of hundred people there. So a real kind of community uh, setting uh, and food was always really important in, in our family. So um, I remember growing up and and uh, cooking and eating and uh, sharing food with with family uh, all the time um, we seem to to cook everything from scratch so um, it, it was a, a a lovely way to, to to be I guess now I grew up my mother had some old cookbooks that were um, from the 60s the Mad Men era and they I still have them she she gave them to me when I, I moved out and um, I really love them. I love all the illustrations. You know, they're very, of course, of the Mad Men era, and uh, they have basically recipes and, and photos and illustrations from that time period. Did you have a similar thing growing up where you got to pour over some old uh, uh, cookbooks that kind of influenced your passion for retro cooking? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I mentioned that my family were were big um, cooks and, and bakers. So there's one particular book, um, over here in the UK anyway, it's a popular book. It's called the Biro Cookbook and it's a brand of flour, Biro. And, uh, you know, lots of households had this book. And I remember when I was young, um, I cooked my way through it. So I learned how to, to cook, I guess, um, using this book. It had everything in it from um, cakes to pastry to uh, savoury items to bread, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, when I started to cook and, and read it, I kind of realised that everyone in my family also had a copy. So um, every time I went to visit my uh, gran or my aunt, um, they'd produce something, you know, for us to eat, you know, just uh, some some biscuits or shortbread or a cake or something. And I would start to recognise them from this book. So um, when, when I... Uh, became older and you know starting to to collect books you know I wanted to uh, go back and find some of these recipes and find if they worked so uh, and still worked uh, I, I mean for me um, and kind of reminisce about my past I suppose so. 
um, yeah, that 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 was how I got into these old cookbooks. And um, I, I guess at the time that maybe I was reading them, they weren't so old. But um, as I've got older, they they are, they are retro cookbooks to me. So, does your love of retro extend to other uh, parts of culture, like art or uh, music, or you know, old movies or television? Yeah, in some in some ways, you know, I'm not someone who who lives completely in the past, you know, I've got an appreciation yeah. of the past and, you know, I love all these old things, um, you know, particularly like old movies, I guess, uh, you know, when you you mentioned that from the list, you know, the old black and white, um, even silent films, but the whole kind of, uh, you know, Hollywood glamour and all that kind of stuff, that's that's very me. Um, but I, I love modern things as well. And, you know, I, I guess my, my taste in, uh, in books and music and culture and art are really varied. Um, it just so happens that my love of food is is situated in in kind of retro uh, styling and, and and old fashioned ideas. But I also love uh, modern cooks and and modern cookbooks too, but not quite as much. You are recently completing your PhD on the history and development of television cooking programs in Britain from 1936 to 1976. Um, so you're in the process of completing that. Can you talk about your research for this project and some of the interesting things you've discovered? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I'm really fortunate that I'm able to um, do a PhD in a subject that I, I love anyway. So it's a, a PhD that I pitched to uh, my my university to, to do uh, and really builds on and previous research uh, for my uh, master's, where I, I researched the work and, and career of Fanny Craddock. Uh, so, so this uh, PhD looks a bit more widely at, at how television cooking programmes started in, in Britain and how they developed in the first uh, 40, 50 years of, of, of life in, in, in British TV. And it's an area of um, media research, but also food history research that, that isn't very well documented. Um, so obviously it's perfect uh, for, for someone conducting a PhD and kind of looking at things, but it's fascinating for me to try and, you know, find all the stories that can retell history and restore um, some of the, the personalities uh, that are perhaps uh, forgotten or disregarded or, or not well understood. Um, so, you know, it's something that I really love doing. Um, it, it can be difficult because um, the the programs that I'm talking about often don't exist anymore. You know, they were uh, wiped from the archives or, or not saved or or broadcast live at the time. And, and there's just no um, copies of them anywhere. Uh, the, there's one or two uh, things that pop up on YouTube or in really weird archives um, and personal collections, which is great. Uh, but the majority of the things I'm talking about uh, don't exist in a visual form. So, you know, I've had to find different ways to kind of recreate them and research them um, through through written archives, um, through newspaper magazines, uh, through cookbooks, um, all the kind of things that go with uh, television cooking uh, and try and figure out, you know, how this uh, kind of very ordinary, everyday um, aspect of our life, watching um, cooking shows on TV. Uh, how, how did it all start? And uh, particularly in Britain, why why did it start in, in the way that it did? Um, and, you know, how has it changed, um, if at all, uh, over the years, really, uh, to, to what we see today? 
I know today um, when we watch food programs, um, in America at least, most of it's fairly jocular. And it, I think the attention is right now on food trucks and very casual food or even extreme food that most of it's very ridiculous. But I know that when I was young, and I'd say my first memories of watching TV cooking shows, I'd say would be probably, to be fair, about 1970. And at that point, we had a lot of things still that had like uh, James Beard, Graham Kerr, Julia Child were the main ones, I think, in America, at least. And the emphasis, I think, was often on European cooking and how to raise the bar so that you can have more gourmet cooking. And gourmet cooking was a really big deal. What was the um, food like that you were look? what was the food uh, writing or the food um, television like that you were researching for your PhD and how did that kind of inform the culture? Yeah, so I mean, it's really varied. And, you know, the, the timeframes that I'm looking at are uh, before World War II, uh, so 1936 to 1939. Yeah. Um, and then after the war as well, uh, 1946 onwards to, to 1976. So before and after the war, I think things were really different. Uh, before the war, television was brand new and uh, quite experimental. Um, not many people had TV sets in their home or could uh, receive the, the programmes that were broadcast. But the programmes were quite spectacular and quite entertaining and quite... Uh, uh, frivolous, I, I guess, you know, they were, uh, or they, they seem to be, you know, I really wish that I could could see them, but from, from my research, that's how they seem to be. Um, really fun. Um, one of the, the, the main uh, personalities who cooked on TV before the war was a, a chap called Xavier Marcel Boulistin, and he was a French um, restaurateur in London. And he cooked um, a variety of things, but he cooked, you know, high class French cuisine. Uh, the people that were watching were upper class people in London. So it was it kind of matched what what they were doing. Maybe they were popping out to restaurants and, and buying his cookbooks, um, but they wanted to see him in action making things. Um, some of the things were quite simple. Uh, maybe like a, an omelette. Uh, I know that Julia Child are also famous for making her omelettes. So um, he started making omelettes on TV in, in 1936. But some complicated things as well and other things that, that matched more into the kind of culture of the day, I, I suppose. So it wasn't all about food. It was about um, the correct wines to, to perhaps have with a meal or, or even down to which type of glass to serve the wine in. Um, how to engage your dinner guests in conversation, um, how to perhaps make things fun and have a uh, an after dinner uh, entertainment section, you know, the different quizzes, things like that. So it really matched, uh, I suppose, the culture of the day. Um, if we zoom forward to, to just after the war, so television here in Britain took a, a break during World War II, but when it re returned, um, food had changed, you know, and food had started to be uh, or was ending uh, the, the period of rationing uh, and food was quite scarce you know people couldn't get hold of things like um, fresh eggs for example and um, so a lot of cookery on tv was demonstrating the use of dried eggs and and you know products that could uh, easily be be found for for people at home and um, so some of the the, the recipes and the styles changed but they still tried to make it quite entertaining um, it was only kind of after this, perhaps in the 60s, that um, food 
uh, on TV uh, became quite instructional uh, and maybe as you mentioned quite um, quite mundane I, I suppose before a, a resurgence of some of that entertainment um, so you, you, you mentioned Graham Cairn he was really big here um, too um, on TV his, his show obviously was syndicated around the world but he was uh, really popular here in the UK and he kind of ends up my period of history and my period of research um, by kind of resuming uh, that entertainment style and those kind of values. So maybe you can uh, recognise some similarities between uh, what I'm talking about with Marcel Bouliston and his uh, love of wine and uh, entertainment with the, the same kind of thing uh, that, that Graham Kerr was looking at. Um, also wine, entertainment, um, audience interaction, uh, but recipes are, I guess, more from around the world. So recipes here in Britain, I guess, tend to focus on uh, either British or French. Uh, and sometimes if if uh, TV cooks uh, in the past were, were thinking about being a bit more exotic, they would look at things like Italy or Sweden or, or countries like that, but mainly uh, French and Britain and tended to flip-flop between the two. How difficult was it doing research for this PhD? Would, were you, did you have access to certain libraries or archives that helped you out? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think, as I mentioned, a lot of the visual archives are, are just, you know, lacking, are, are not there. So uh, there's, there's not those kind of records. But the, the, the BBC, the main broadcaster um, here at the time that I was uh, looking at, uh, the, the time period, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, they have extensive written archives where they keep uh, every uh, letter, memo and note that's ever been uh, written about uh, TV cooking um, or any form of television actually uh, in various files. So they they have access for academics and they were vital for me in, in being able to research uh, the thinking behind some of the programmes and to try and get to know the personalities a little bit, to, to read their letters, to read their memos and to read their feedback and kind of match that with other uh, visual uh, records, I guess, that I have, such as photographs or, or magazine articles and things like that, that can put them together. So both things together. So some uh, recognised institutional archives, but also informal archives and, and things that I've collected uh, perhaps myself uh, in terms of magazines and, and cookbooks uh, but also uh, spent a lot of time in, in just libraries looking looking through cookbooks and and matching recipes to to ones that I know that were produced on TV. Now your blog predates I think we're going to talk about the book next but the blog I think predates the book did the blog help you get research done? Were there people that saw your blog and said, oh, hey, I'm a fan and I collect this, this and this. Was that instrumental in, in your work as well? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So my blog was very focused on um, just one person, Fanny Craddock, and uh, she produced a, a series of weekly magazines um, that she sold in, in Britain in the very early 1970s. And you could collect these magazines into various binders and folders and, you know, have a complete collection of her, her, her work. And it's highly illustrated with weird and wonderful photographs of every recipe and also step-by-step -step pictures of how to recreate them. Um, so it was a, 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 you know, a lovely collection of uh, work, but it was also um, 
sort of it's in 80 weekly parts. So it covers everything basically from her career. And it's fascinating to, to look at. So I decided to cook through that um, in a kind of Julia and Julie, uh, Julie and Julia type of way. Uh, oh, and, nice. and, and see, you know, just just how how was it? You know, did these recipes stand up? Are they just weird and wonderful to look at? Or are they actually interesting? Can you learn to cook um, using Fanny Craddock's techniques? So that was the idea behind my blog. Um, and yes, it, it attracted a lot of interest, actually. And, uh, um, you know, a lot of people interested in retro cooking. But one of the main things um, that it brought to me was uh, actually the guy who owns Fanny Craddock's own archive. He contacted me while I was doing my master's. And oh, said, wow. I have her, I have her archive, all her letters, her scrapbooks, her her, oh, wow. her career. Um, is there anything that you could do with it? And I was like, Are you absolutely <laughs> kidding me? Um, and e- even better, he he lives very close to me here in oh, Scotland. Wow. So no way. It just kind of it just kind of all came together very, very nicely. So um uh, obviously with his his permission and blessing I was able to to use the archive to to guide my master's research um, and also just gave me a really good insight into um, archives and uh, the the processes there so really helped me to 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 gain my uh, PhD place too but yeah that, that was one of the the best and and uh, most brilliant uh, connections that the blog brought but there are many others too you know just people interested family as well of, of Fanny Craddock and of other television cooks contacted me and said oh, I love what you're doing and um, by the way I'm her cousin or by the way uh, my, my dad was her son and um, would you like to speak to us so lots of like really positive stuff and I know that uh, you know people sometimes say the internet and particularly social media is not such a friendly place but I, I particularly find it to be and uh, people were very generous in in sharing their information their ideas and you know anything that they could uh, help me with actually which was which was great so we're coming to the topic um that i've been eager to talk about with you ever since i first heard about it you have a new book out keep calm and fanny on the many careers of fanny craddock and you know we talked about your blog and how that influenced it how did your love of fanny craddock come about it's really hard to to pinpoint, but when I was growing up, um, she was always around, but she wasn't cooking on TV anymore. She was quite old uh, at this point, but she was on various chat shows and game shows, and you know she was a bit of a television celebrity. But actually, the 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 time that I became most fascinated uh, in her, which is uh, something that tends to happen to me, is is when she died, and that was in nineteen ninety four. And there was, you know, a fair bit of press coverage about her. And I, I, you know, knew her previously and I'd seen her and was just kind of fascinated by her. But the press coverage here in the in the UK was really negative about her. It was really, you know, quite horrible and uh, didn't seem to match up with uh, this kind of vision of, of a person that I uh, knew and, and, you know, thought highly of. You know, people said that she couldn't cook and that she was a fake and that she you know was a horrible person and you know not not the usual kind of things that people say when someone dies you know it's usually oh it was so great to work with them and you know that was lovely so it just kind of piqued my interest how could these two things be true how could she uh, cook on tv for over 20 years how could she 
publish nearly a hundred books in her her lifetime, uh, and how could she become such a huge celebrity, at least here in in Britain? But yet there were people who who said it was just all a bit of a, a fake, and that she wasn't the person that she said she was, and uh, you know things that she was famous for, cooking and uh, celebrating food, she couldn't even do. So so I just wanted to investigate her a bit more and find out more about her her life and. Uh, you know, how, how things had come about for her uh, and how she'd managed to become such a, a huge celebrity in, in, in the UK. Um, it's, it's fascinating to me that people still remember her. Um, she, she last appeared on TV um, 30, 40 years ago, but people still uh, know her name and can, can visualise her here in the UK at least. Um, you know, she's kind of imprinted on people's minds, um, not always for the right reasons, but, uh, you know, there's, there's something quite intriguing and, and fascinating about her. And I, I just wanted to, to find out everything that I could about her, really. I mean, I just, you know, dipped my toe in um, looking at, about her life, and there's a lot of it on Wikipedia. And I was... I think my mouth dropped open several times and I, I mean, you did not pick a boring topic to research. I mean, this is a very interesting person and I would almost, you know, even go as far as saying, I'm surprised that somebody hasn't done like a full length feature film or miniseries based on her life because it's that interesting. Do you want to talk about, uh, you know, the origins of Fanny Craddock and how she came to be? Yeah, yeah, I, I will. I'll, I'll caveat what I'm going to say with just a little uh, warning that her Wikipedia page can be quite wild and uh, uh, not always the most accurate. People tend to okay. love all the <laughs> people tend to love all the the kind of uh, stories about her, uh, and the stories become reality. You know, they get printed and then they get cited on Wikipedia and uh, uh, as things but actually she 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 did have uh, a really fascinating and weird and wonderful life it's just some of the 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 facts and figures on Wikipedia tend to get distorted but hey that's that's always the way um she she was just a really fascinating person not not much was really known about her her early life but she started off her career um when she was a little bit older so in her late 30s 40s she became a food campaigner uh, and was determined to become a journalist so she wrote some food columns and fashion columns in in newspapers her her parents were uh, both in the industry her dad was a playwright and a novelist and her mum was an actress and I think she'd had quite a flamboyant life uh, for example her her mother's name is bijou which is a, a French word for for small you know, it just kind of gives you uh, an idea of the kind of life that she uh, grew up in her her father um, chose the name Valentine as his pen name. Uh, so his books are published under that name. So, you know, it's a quite a flamboyant existence, I, I think, that she had, but not a happy childhood at all. Um, her, her parents were both quite self-centred and didn't really have much time for her, um, which is something that she was... Uh, accused of being much later in life too but uh, she she kind of channeled her energies into being a success in, in uh, all the careers that she she chose and she loved writing she's one of those people who could uh, possibly and probably write 24 hours a day if if she could stay awake she seemed to always be writing so she had endless newspaper columns magazines and she wrote lots of uh, books as well children's books fictional books 
um, travel books, uh, th things that were quite uncommon, I guess, for uh, for anyone to do, but for a woman to do, particularly in Britain in the 1940s, you know, it wasn't the kind of career that that women uh, were were encouraged to do, travel around and and review restaurants and hotels and things like that. Uh, but she was keen to do that, and it kind of led her into doing radio broadcasts. And uh, eventually, uh, she she managed to persuade someone to give her some time on on TV. And it was discovered that, that, you know, not only did she love TV, but TV seemed to love her too. But her her careers before that, as a, a writer and a critic and, a, you know, a journalist, carried on all through her life too. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, she published over 100 books in her lifetime. She was just endlessly that's uh, publishing just, things. Wow, <laughs> that's that's a real... I mean, I, I know there are people that have done that, so that's not unsurprising, but just in addition to everything else, that's quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it would be a, 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 a great career in itself, but it was just one of her her uh, many careers, I guess, and, and that's why I, I gave my book that subtitle, because she, she had so many. So, um, you know, if you look at her television career, it's a fantastic career on its own. If you look at her... Um, novels uh, it's a fantastic career on their own if you look at her um travel writing or children's books they're they're fantastic careers on, on their own too so she she did all these kind of weird and wonderful things uh, but her main driver i think was just to keep working and keep writing and uh she she loved being famous and and she loved uh, people knowing who she was you know she liked that kind of adoration so television seemed perfect for her you know she could connect with lots of people at the same time and impart her knowledge and uh, help them she she really felt that she was helping sometimes her her tone was quite condescending and and uh, yeah. quite difficult but um you know her her motivation was to try and help people i guess I was watching her on a YouTube video and I noticed that, but I also noticed too, I want to be fair because wasn't that kind of the mode of the TV presenters at the time period that they kind of had that kind of persona? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, things were were different, you know. So if you've if you've watched some of the clips on YouTube, and there's some some great clips there to 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 see of her time, um, the shows tended to be you know 15, 20 minutes, sometimes half yeah. an hour long. Um, and she would be cooking, you know, six, seven, eight different things in, in that time period. Uh, the shows were recorded mostly um, as live. You know, there wasn't much of a budget behind um, cooking shows in, in general, particularly not not for, for her. So, you know, things had to be done really quickly and in, in kind of one take. And if, if things started to go a little bit wrong, you can see her sometimes getting a bit tetchy. Um, but they were very personality driven shows anyway so the the cooking shows weren't just about um learning how to cook um but it was you know about enjoying watching it and learning to to love food uh, i guess fanny craddock believed that if you really wanted to learn to cook you could watch her and feel inspired um, and then go and buy her cookbooks and uh try it out for yourself um or you could just sit back and enjoy it. You know, she she didn't really mind either way. Um, she would prefer it, of course, if if you bought her books. Uh, but she she just kind of loved being on TV and being that personality. And um, I think 
um, you could still see, and certainly I can see when I watch those uh, clips on YouTube, she really connects with the audience at home. Um, and, you know, you, you want to watch her. Um, you feel kind of compelled to watch her. Um, you know, sometimes it's because she she can look a bit strange or she says something a bit strange or um, she makes something a bit strange, but you, you, you want to keep watching. It's not something to have on in the background. Uh, and I think that that is the the, the mode of those shows at, at the time, um, that they were something to be consumed and just really quick. Um, I guess they they never thought that, you know, 50, 60 years later, anyone would be watching them. They were fairly disposable programmes um, and, you know, were treated as such, really, I guess. But they they were fun at the time and they were on um, here in Britain. They were on the schedules in, in kind of primetime evening slots. Uh, you know, the, the thinking was that the, the, the housewives at home would... Um, do all their cooking and all their uh, housework and then settle down to to watch it uh, with their family, really. It was a kind of family entertainment, uh, mostly. Um, some of the programmes were on in the afternoons too to, to try and encourage uh, people at home to, to cook these fancy things for their family. But um, Fanny shows in particular, they were entertainment shows and uh, pitched very much as that. There was a level of... Um... And again, I know that Wikipedia is an unreliable narrator, but um, I, I I saw a lot of yeah, you know, I think a lot in a, a lot of the illustrations or the photos as well. There was a level level of theat theatricality where it was very much a persona, where and I even think that she enlisted her um, her husband at the time um, before he passed um, as kind of a a person to be on the show with her at times or am i getting that wrong no that's absolutely right and um her uh I, i'm smiling wryly because um she introduced johnny as her husband but they 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 didn't actually get married until 1977 um after wow. her television career so they'd cooked together on tv for over 20 years before that um as husband and wife and and that was very much how they presented themselves but um she had quite a checkered past with husbands and uh, uh she had you know several uh, and sometimes a couple at the same time so um she wasn't able to marry johnny until much later um uh, but yeah that that was the the persona that she created um definitely the fanny craddock that you see on screen is is that persona um and i think that she was the type of person that actually became that persona uh because she was living it so much so she started off um creating it but but it just became her um and she couldn't really shake it off towards the end but um it you know, very definite, uh, as you say, very theatrical, uh, perhaps again from her her background, you know, as I mentioned, her mum was a, a theatrical actress and her father yeah. uh, was a playwright. So he was writing plays all, all the time. That was the kind of world that she knew. Um, and she, when she was young, you know, she didn't really get a lot of attention from them. So she had to uh, be theatrical to be noticed, uh, I suppose. So, yeah, she took that into her her television career, but it was also something that people at home wanted to watch you know they wanted to 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 watch something different and she wasn't always very um 
supportive of of Johnny on screen. You know that again, that was the no. persona that they had. Uh, but people tell me in, in private it was very different. You know they were very um, loving and a, you know a, a nice couple. I guess that doesn't always make such a a great story. But certainly on screen, you know he was uh, put down and and put upon by her, and she was very much in charge. And again in you know, 50s and 60s Britain, that wasn't um, a, a role that really women or, or housewives had. You know, they're very uh, much, uh, uh, you know, in their husband's shadows, I, I suppose, uh, particularly, uh, you know, on TV. Um, so for someone like Fanny Craddock to not only be a, a magnificent woman with a, a great career and be really confident and uh, be really entertaining, but also to have her uh, husband by her side, who was a bit hapless and needed a bit of support, gave her something to uh, react to, you know, almost like a comedy performance, almost like a theatrical performance, you know, like a, a kind of Laurel and Hardy or, or something like that. Um, somebody yeah. who was really skilled and someone who wasn't so skilled so she could always point things out that Johnny wasn't doing very well or or say that she'd been teaching her how to do a certain thing um, and she she carried on um, doing that with other people as well so she brought in a range of um, assistants to help her on TV um, uh, and kind of phased Johnny out of the TV work if you like uh, but she carried on doing that so it looked as if she was helping and supporting and encouraging and passing on her her skills and knowledge to to other people uh, and that's what she felt she was doing to Johnny and, and that's what she wanted to do uh, for people at home but it was a a very useful technique I, I guess to to have that act and and she called it an act um, that they performed on TV together uh, to enable her to to be dominant and you know authoritative about um, her cooking and her ideas uh, but also for for them to provide some some comedy moments I guess and some entertaining uh, times together. Now I know that this is a podcast so people um, you know if they're not familiar with Fanny Craddock um, can you describe her appearance because there was a level of theatricality especially as she aged I saw pictures of her at different ages and I, and I think this became more of a persona of the 60s and maybe 70s but can you describe her appearance and how she dressed yeah so i mean her her appearance changed dramatically she started cooking on tv in uh, the mid 1950s uh, and kind of finished in the the mid 1970s so a period of 20 years and when she started she was already you know older than than most people on tv and yeah. you know uh, so so when she ended uh, she she was you know, again, much older. Uh, when she started on TV in the 50s, though, her appearance was quite um, flamboyant and uh, spectacular as well. You know, she used to cook in, in ball gowns and, you know, there's clips of her at the, the Royal Albert Hall, which is a, a huge performance space here in, in the UK. And uh, she wanted people to see her wherever they were in a theatre or see her on TV and you know I think we have to remember I guess that the the TV pictures weren't as clear and and bright as they they are today so she wanted to stand out so she wore a lot of um, jewellery and sparkles and feathers and sequins and you know 
things people people have accused her of being uh, resembling a, a drag queen, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it was just it was just simply uh, to make her stand out and to to make her notice. So if you happen to switch on the TV, you would see her. Um, and she carried on that kind of uh, change of her appearance throughout her career of the 20 years. She she modernised herself in the 60s. She became uh, very kind of uh, fashionable uh, and, you know, people commented on her outfits in positive ways. Uh, but in the 70s, when most of the clips that survive today uh, and certainly the ones that are on YouTube, you know, she was approaching um, 70 herself and uh, she she had a very particular style. Um, she she used to draw eyebrows on her forehead, and they seemed to get higher and higher um, the older that she got, which gave her quite a surprise look. And again, uh, perhaps links back to some of the comments that people make that uh, she was she a drag queen. Um, she she yeah. had that kind of uh, flamboyant look, but again, still lots of big dresses and jewelry. Um, and she she had kind of a, a mixed feeling about it because she she felt that sometimes her clothes and appearance um, distracted from her work, but she also knew that it was uh, how people would remember her and I guess still remember her. So if you uh, search through TikTok or, or any of the social media sites for, for her, you'll see clips of her, uh, you know, looking quite strange and looking quite um flamboyant some people might describe her as grotesque I would never do that obviously but you know she was yeah. quite, an, quite an elderly lady by then and just having a bit of fun with her appearance and trying to be uh, quite hip and chic in the 70s but it didn't quite catch on but before that she was really fashionable and uh, she actually appeared in in the pages of Vogue magazine uh, wearing uh you know, kind of tailored outfits and uh, things in the 50s. And, and she was quite known for her fashion style and fashion sense. So it's just a shame that most of those clips that survive, as I say, come from her her later years where, where things were a bit strange. She um, had a lot of great slogans that she would say when she was on television, such as, this won't break you, this is perfectly economical, and this won't stretch your purse. Uh, do you know of any others you want to talk about? Because I kind of loved these. I thought they were kind of fun. Yeah, she she became known for these kind of catchphrases, and um, she 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 brought them into almost every TV show. So if you if you do watch them, you'll you'll start to spot them. Um, one of her most famous ones, of course, was "It's all in the booklet," because she would say, um, <laughs> you know. Like don't don't worry if you can't really follow what I'm saying. It's it's basically in my book. Go and buy it. But because <laughs> um, the the BBC is a, a public service broadcaster here in the UK, um, advertising is not allowed, um, yeah. and she wasn't allowed to promote her her books. But she could mention that she had books, of course, and she could encourage you to do that. So that kind of became one of her her catchphrases. Uh, don't worry, uh, don't worry, I, I've got you covered, it's all in the booklet. Uh, but she also used <laughs> to say lots of things too to, to kind of encourage you to um, kind of do 
things her way, uh, I suppose, uh, and surprise people just as she surprised you. So she used to talk a lot about um, if you do this, you'll be able to get one up on your neighbours that you never really liked anyway. Uh, they'll be really envious of, of the way that you cook and the way that you present um, stuff. So she would say that a lot. Um, this will really annoy your neighbours. Um, so do this uh, at your next buffet party, uh, invite them round uh, and watch their faces. You know, it was that kind of uh, feeling that she wanted people to have, that they were doing something secretive. Of course, the neighbours would be watching the same programme and, and not be at all surprised uh, to, to see people create Fanny Craddock dishes. But um, she she kind of had that um, interaction with people and uh, the, the, the catchphrases were very much part of it. Um, you know, here we are today, all these years later, talking about her and her catchphrases. And, uh, you know, she, she made it memorable and she wanted people to remember her at the time. I, I guess in her wildest dreams, she wouldn't um, have thought that we would be talking about her still today. But I think that those phrases and the way that she she put things and kind of got into to people's psyche it, it is all part of it. It's all part of why people remember her. Um, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the stories that surround her are not always positive, and uh, she perhaps was responsible for putting out some of those stories too, because she she understood that uh, those were the kind of stories that people would remember and uh, talk about in the future. So it was the same with her catchphrases. You know, she just wanted people to uh, know instantly it was her and talk about her and, uh, you know, probably make some press headlines. So um, I guess... The, the equivalent today, you know, she would be trending on Twitter or or, or whatever with the, the kind of things that she said, uh, but they made headlines and got press stories and uh, people talked about her on chat shows and game shows and people impersonated her because uh, they were able to mimic her catchphrases. So would you say she was the first influencer? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting point because um, a, a lot of my research around all the television cooks um, focuses on their ability to, to advertise and influence, particularly within the constraints of the, the BBC here in, in Britain, where, as I mentioned, advertising and uh, promotion was just really not allowed really um, at all. Um, but yeah, I think that she was the first person that really got it and she connected her work on TV um, with her own books, but also everything she did was sponsored. So um, going back to some of those YouTube clips that, that you've watched, if you look at them again, you'll see um, she's always standing in front of a very particular type of uh, cooker. It's a, a gas ah. cooker with a with a high grill. Um, it won't surprise you to know that she was sponsored by the company who made those um, for a kind of lifetime deal to always promote that particular cooker. So she insisted that it was there in the in the TV studios. Um, she brought it along. It was her own cooker, um, and she she had endless copies of it uh, from the company. But also, if you bought her books. That cookers on the front cover um, she recommended it um, and all the products that go with it um, to, 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 to cook with. Um, everything down to the 
uh, foil that she used on, on TV or the particular uh, butter or, or things like that. They were all kind of placed and sponsored by people. Um, and she found very secretive ways to, to show them on TV um, that wouldn't break the advertising rules. And, and actually the people um, at the BBC didn't even realise that she was promoting them, but she, she was. And then she would write about them in the newspaper and in magazines and make it quite explicit that she was using those products. Um, but on screen, she never mentioned their names, but um, everybody knew which products she used. So, so yeah, I think she was an influencer and she, she would definitely kind of love social media now, you know, that would be her audience uh, and she would love to uh, to to think that she was uh, the best at that. And uh, she's, she certainly got a lot of money from it um, and she was always advertising um, and doing various advertising deals. So, so yeah, yeah, I think she is an influencer. She certainly was. There was um, an incident I was reading about um, where she fell out of favor with the public. Uh, she had, I guess there was a contest winner that was supposed to prepare a meal for some celebrities and she was part of the celebrity uh, panel, I guess, for lack of better terms. And um, it kind of caused her to fall out of public favor. favor. Do you know what, what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's called the Gwen Troke incident. Um, and yeah. it's a, pro a program here in, in the UK called The Big Time, which was a, a kind of talent show uh, for various different careers. And they invited people on who wanted to be professional in whatever career they had. Um, and Gwen Troke was uh, the person who was on cooking and, and Fanny was guiding her and supporting her and judging her. Yeah, so it's it's one of these stories um, that followed her round and, and you know followed followed her onto to Wikipedia that it kind of ruined her career. But but actually, I think the the true stories probably just as interesting, but people are not as keen to 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 take it up. But the the whole thing was uh, not not fabricated, but um, they'd they'd worked together. Uh, many years before, a few years before, five or six years before, and uh, the TV bosses knew that they had some chemistry, and they kind of staged the whole um, fake, um, you know, disgust at, at some of the 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 items that she'd cooked, and uh, tried to create a little bit of press furore about it. Um, it's often reported, and again, it's one of the stories that that happened after she died that that it ruined her career, and uh, there was huge uh, disgust about it, and you know people were outraged um, at the time. But but certainly, my research, I, I can't really find that there was that much um, outrage at the time. People um, didn't particularly like it. And they didn't like the style. But if you look back at some of the clips now, they're they're, they're quite tame actually. Um, yeah. You, you know they're they're not horrific. Uh, she she didn't really go for it. Particularly, I guess uh, if we look at some reality TV shows now that that perhaps uh, follow that 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 mode, um, the the judges can be quite nasty and and quite yeah. quite uh, quite difficult. I guess and, and that's the the role that she was cast in. And you know she wasn't there to 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 just be nice about everything. You know she wanted to to help, but. I guess Fanny being her, she she wanted to be remembered and she wanted to make the headlines. So um, they she she kind of played up to the camera and uh, certainly um, helped to make the show memorable, um, helped to make 
Gwen Choke's name memorable as well. And, you know, she she, she wasn't someone from a, a TV background um, and, you know, very, very different to, to Fanny Craddock. But but yeah, it was certainly one of the last times that, that Fanny cooked on TV um, or uh, appeared on TV with food. Um, but did it end her career? I'm not so sure. I think that she was really fed up of cooking on TV at that at that time. Um, she'd cooked already for 20 years and, and was trying to um, get her retirement plan in order. And um, she had plans for um, kind of blockbuster saga uh, type soap opera books that she wanted to to write. She wanted to produce uh, Dallas before it became Dallas. She wanted to do all that kind of uh, kind of flamboyant stuff uh, behind the scenes and get away from TV. So it was a convenient um, way to kind of draw a close to her cooking career uh, publicly. Um, but I think that that she was very much involved in the in the demise and, and really, um, you know, it's one of those stories that kind of become more of a story uh, after she died, certainly. Um, and you know, no one's around really to 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 say that it's not true. She would love it actually that we're still talking about her just again uh, in connection with that story. Um, you know, it's made her memorable um, here in the UK. If you mention her name, people say, "Oh, yeah, she was terrible to to that cook on TV." Um, and it's just one of those stories that builds and builds, and people talk about on these uh, kind of uh, reminiscing type nostalgia TV programs with with talking heads, but. Uh, I, at the time, it wasn't as big as uh, as it appears now. You uh, tried to work your way through the Craddock cookery program, but you also, I think, have the incidental um, difference of being a vegetarian. How did that work out for you? It was okay, actually. Um, you know, I just, you know, made a choice, obviously, that there'd be some things that I wouldn't cook. Um, so some skills that she wouldn't be able to pass on to me. Um, but uh, and a lot of her cookery program is quite meat heavy. Um, so sometimes I would use uh, replacements, but just sometimes I would skip over some of the recipes that were just simply about meat um, and, yeah. uh, and those. But you know, it was a real balance. And I was really surprised actually to find that a lot of her cookery um, was naturally vegetarian or uh, that she oh. considered uh, vegetarian people as well uh, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, again, just a bit of a surprise. Uh, but a lot of her cookery was based around cakes and breads and things like that. So, you know, they they weren't too problematic to, to do either. So I definitely read all her stuff about meat and uh, talked about it, but I didn't didn't cook it myself, no. Are there any um, modern day food, food influencers or TV food personalities that you enjoy that you follow? Yeah, it's tricky now because... Um, you know, maybe I'm, I I I know too much about it all. Studying my my PhD, <laughs> I, I kind of uh, sometimes think, oh, do I do I have to watch another TV cook? Some of them are great. You know, like I like people like Nigella Lawson, which I, I I'm sure is someone that you you know over in the states too. Uh, and she, oh, I adore her. Um, she's kind of uh, I don't know if uh, it's a controversial thing to say, but she reminds me a lot of Fanny Craddock. So, uh, you know, she's. Uh, <laughs> quite glamorous and uh savvy and uh you know that kind of influencer mode of of having all the products on, on display and um, certainly here in the UK if if Nigella uses a particular mixer or a bowl 
people are straight on social media trying to find out where it's from and how, how they can get that. Uh, and it was the same with Fanny Craddock. Um, other TV cooks now, you know, I, I enjoy watching for different reasons. So um, my kind of, if I was to describe it as a guilty pleasure, uh, my guilty pleasure is watching the pioneer woman. Um, I just think that she's hilarious uh, from, from the US and, you know, just so bizarre. Uh, some of her, her recipes, um, I'm sure, are, are not what people in, in the States cook. Uh, but she also <laughs> reminds me a little bit of, of Fanny Craddock. You know, she just does things to, to be memorable. She has yeah. all her products, her her skillets and everything from mm -hmm. her own store. In fact, she seems to own the whole the whole village or town that she lives in. Um, but I find her quite amusing, but it's not because of her excellent cookery skills, I, I guess. The I, I suppose the food influencers that I follow have changed, really, uh, and it's more food historians now that influence me. So, um, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm sure that you've, you, well, I know you've had many on your, your podcast too, but they're the people that, that really interest me, the people that are trying to um, place history back uh, where where it should be uh, and kind of rewrite the history books and make sure that those Wikipedia pages are are, are accurate, I guess. But providing, you know, great books uh, and great resources, blogs and podcasts about um, food history is is really uh, the things that influence me now. So. so what's next for you, Kevin? Oh, gosh, hopefully so much. So um, as you mentioned, I'm just about to complete my PhD. So um, hopefully that will be completed in the, in the next uh month or so and uh, everything will be handed in and uh, obviously I have to uh, see how that goes and, and hope that I pass that but um, I've definitely got more writing um, in me about television cooking uh, and, and history there's so many characters and personalities that I want to tell their stories um, but also you know other other writing I, I guess too you know find a love of writing um, myself, uh, maybe a, a gift from from Fanny Craddock. I, I just love writing about different things. So, um, lots of stories to tell. Um, some books, perhaps some some more research. I'd love to uh, stay in in academia in some way or other uh, and do some more research about early TV um, and cooking, perhaps um, around the world or, or more in Britain. Who, who knows? Um, but definitely, I, I kind of love the mix of research writing and then communicating about about all of those things that um the the academic world gives me but also uh publishing world gives me so so maybe i've been influenced by fanny craddock and and just want to take over all these different careers but um certainly more more research more writing is uh my 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 long answer there um <laughs> on a short question but yeah more, more to come definitely well, good luck on your PhD, although I doubt you need it. And I want to tell the listeners, if you think we missed anything or you want to hear more about Fanny Craddock, don't worry. It's in the book. You can read Keep Calm and Fanny On. You can get it on through all major retailers. We're going to have links in the bio as well. So, Kevin, thank you for being on the podcast. I really had a great time talking to you. I hope we get to have you on here again. Oh, thanks so much. That was my conversation 
with academic researcher, author Kevin Geddes about the career of TV presenter, Fanny Craddock. Next week, we'll be talking with James Beard award-winning food writer, Beth Dooley about her books and career. More next week. Until then, I'll see you at the library.